Father, we're so blessed to know such a mighty God as you. Or we don't have any kind of comprehension of just how mighty you are. The fact that you just spoke the world into existence, that you hold all the atoms of the world together is, is past us understanding, Lord. But we believe that's true, Lord, because it's in your word and your word is in our heart. Lord, today we also are going to see that by that same word by which you spoke the world into existence, you will judge the world. And this earth and the heavens will melt with fervent heat. Or that that judgment that's coming is as sure as the judgment that came in the days of Noah, Lord. And Peter was writing about this uh, uh, several thousand years, a couple of thousand years before uh, we're looking at it here today. So the time is much nearer now than it was when he wrote what he's writing to us here in this book. Lord, so help us to see just how urgent it is, how close we are, how that time is drawing near, and how important it is that that we don't that are that we see this time of this coming judgment as a way to stir up our minds, Lord, to stir up our hearts, to to be clo- to to desire to be closer to you, to be more into your word, Lord, and to to serve you with these last days that we have on this earth. So, so Lord, there's a purpose in all of this, and I just ask that you help us to see it. I ask you to to teach us this great lesson here that's in this text by the power of your Holy Spirit, and I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a little boy, this is going to shock you, but I did some pretty bad things. I knew it would shock you. But one of the things I did, sometimes I didn't study very much, and I would come home with a bad report card. Any of you ever done that? Well, when I got home, I would bring my report card. And back in those days, your report card had to be signed by your, one of your parents. And so I would go to my mother, because my dad was still at work, and I would go to my mother and I'd say, Mom, I didn't do so well. Would you please sign this? She says, No, son, I'm not going to sign that report card. I'm going to wait till your dad gets home, and he's going to deal with it. Well, that was a frightening prospect because my dad was a very loving dad, but he believed in discipline. He believed wholeheartedly in the proverb, spare the rod and spoil the child. And so I knew that when I came home with that bad report card, I was in deep trouble. And I said to myself, man, what am I going to do? Because my dad's not coming right now, but what can I do to make this better? So I figured the you know, maybe the best thing to do was do my homework that night, you know, get all my homework done, and then clean up my room and really impress my dad, and maybe that would lighten my punishment. But before I did that, I would want to play a little bit and watch TV, so I, at first I was going to play and I was going to watch TV, and my dad was an officer in the Air Force, and he often was on flight duty, and he'd fly off for the day, and it'd be late when he came in, and he on several of those days he was out flying, and, and he would delay his coming, and and uh, I would get to playing, and I would get to watching TV, and I would forget all about the fact that I was in any kind of trouble. But then all of a sudden, when I least expected it, the door would open, and I would hear the voice of the Lord, it sounded like, (laughs) the voice of my dad. And I could hear him talking to my mom, and I knew that then it was too late to do my homework, It was too late to clean my room. I was in trouble, and I was about to face the music. 
Well, Peter, in his last chapter, warned us about the coming judgment that's coming upon this world, upon false teachers and false believers, uh, and it's coming when the Lord returns. But you know what? Most people, if you see what most people, as they go through their life on this earth, they really are not afraid of the coming of the Lord. And the reason they're not afraid, because of the delay of the day of the Lord. There's been a delay in the day of the Lord. And so people go about their business as if nothing's going to happen. But I'm going to tell you, one day the trumpet is going to sound and you're going to hear the voice of the Lord and it's going to be too late at that point to do anything about it. Now, for those of us that are born again, that's a great day and we look forward to that day. But for those who don't know the Lord, when the Lord returns, their eternal state is set. And that state we know from the word of God is blackness and darkness forever. But let me say this for a believer. When that day comes, your eternal rewards are set. Now you're going to live heaven, and I believe heaven is great for everybody. But what you can do for the kingdom of God will be done. There won't be any other opportunities to, to serve God in the, through free choice like we do now on this fallen earth. Those days will be gone. Listen to what Peter says in verse number one. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which, I, in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, that's the Old Testament, and, and the commandment of us, the apostles, that's the New Testament, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter gives the main reason of, or the main purpose of 1 Peter and 2 Peter in these first two verses here in chapter 3 of 2 Peter. And what is that purpose? It's to stir up the pure part of our minds. Now, what's the pure part of your mind? Some of us don't have much of a pure mind. But what's the pure part of our mind? The pure part of our mind are the things that pertain to the Lord. You remember what Paul said in the book of Philippians. Paul said, finally, in fact, turn there. Go back to Philippians, chapter number 4, I believe it's in. Let's go back a few books to the book of Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter number 4. And look down at verse number 8 and listen to what he says. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, if there is, we know there is, then meditate on these things. Let me ask you something. Who's praiseworthy? Who's praiseworthy? Are you praiseworthy? No, you're not. Who's praiseworthy? Come on. Jesus Christ is praiseworthy. 
Jesus Christ is true. Jesus Christ is noble. Jesus Christ is just. Jesus Christ is pure. Jesus Christ is lovely. Jesus Christ is of good report. Jesus Christ is praiseworthy. So what are we to meditate on? We're to meditate on Jesus Christ. And so Peter says, I write this book to stir up the things in your mind and bring the things of Jesus Christ to the forefront of your mind. You know, our problem is we've got so much junk in our mind that Jesus Christ gets put, pushed back to the very back of our minds. He's buried back in some corner in the back of our minds. And that's what Peter's saying. I want to stir up your minds by way of reminder so that the things of Jesus Christ will be foremost on your mind. Right now, what's foremost on your mind? Should be Jesus Christ. When you go to Piccadilly's after church or wherever you go to eat, I don't recommend Piccadilly's, by the way, but if, wherever you go to eat, is Jesus Christ still on the forefront of your mind? When you go to work tomorrow, is Jesus Christ still in the forefront of your mind? He should always be first in our mind. And, and so Peter says, look, I wrote these two epistles to stir up your minds and, and the way I'm going to stir up your minds is by way of reminder. A reminder of what? A reminder that it won't be long before you see the Lord face to face. You might think it's a long time, but it won't be long before you see the Lord face to face. Listen to what he says. Go back to 1 Peter when he introduced the two letters. In 1 Peter, and look down at verse number 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory. Now watch this. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's that word revelation? The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Peter is saying right there, if you look at this, he's saying, yeah, the Christian life is tough. Yeah, you've been grieved by various trials. But hang in there because it's all going to be worth it when you see Jesus Christ. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you need to remind yourself that you're going to see Jesus Christ Sooner than you think. Really soon. Now, when you really get a sense of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, or a sense that you're going to see him soon by your passing, let me tell you what, it stirs up your mind. It will stir up your mind, and let me tell you what will come to the forefront of your mind. It won't be the last movie you saw. It won't be the last TV show you saw. It won't be the last restaurant you ate at. It won't be what's going on at your job. What will come to the forefront of your mind are the things of the Lord. Let's say you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you, you're, it's gonna be lucky. you're going to be lucky if you live another year. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. That's going to stir up your mind. 
Because you're going to realize that very soon you're going to be face to face with the Lord. And, and, and when your mind is stirred up, you're going to you're not be thinking of the things of this world. You're going to be thinking of the things of the Lord if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I don't know how anybody handles that if they're not a Christian. But it stirs you up. You know, I'll tell you what, if you watch the news, what's going on in the United States of America and what's going on in this world, and, and you don't see that we're coming close to the end of time, that the Lord is coming soon, then you're blind. And when you see all of that, it should stir up your mind. And what should come to your mind shouldn't be the things of this world. What should come to your mind is what the apostles wrote and what the prophets wrote. This word of God that we have right here in our hands. You know, I remember when I first got saved, I spent a great deal of time studying prophecy. I mean, I read books like Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth. I don't know if you've ever read that. And I, I listened to these prophecy guys on the radio like Grant Jeffries and Noah Hutchins. And, and I read commentaries on the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And, and I've got to tell you, I was convinced that, and this was back in the late 80s and early 90s, but I was convinced that the Lord was going to return by the year 2000. And I'm going to tell you what, that stirred up my mind. That stirred up my heart. And everything I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted it to have something to do with the Lord. I wanted to give the Lord my life. I wanted to serve the Lord with all my life. Well, 27 years have passed. And some of that excitement has waned. Some of you might have gone through a similar process. And I'll tell you what I do from time to time. All I have to do is go read the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, and watch the news, and I can say, wow. I can get all excited all over again. And, and I think it's a good thing to remind ourselves of the coming of the Lord, of the day of the Lord. It should excite us. It should ex encourage us to get as close to the Lord as we possibly can and to spend what time we have left in the service of the Lord. Now, unbelievers, they're not going to get excited about the day of the Lord. I don't blame them. It's a bad day. In fact, they want to bury that day in the sand. They just say they don't want to believe that day because in their minds, there's nothing pure to stir up. Before I was saved, there was nothing pure in me to stir up. Only when I got saved and I began to read this supernatural word of God and it began to fill my mind and fill my heart did I have something in my mind worthy of stirring up. But, but so they scoff. They scoff at this idea that the Lord's going to return someday soon. And, and really all they're doing, it's a convenient way of burying that, uh, burying their heads in the sand really is what they're doing. Look at verse 3 now. Back to 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse number 3. He says, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. How are they walking? According to the lust of their flesh, according to their own lust. There's no lust for God. There's no lust for the things of God. 
They, they unbelievers walk, and we were all unbelievers at one time. We walked according to the lust of our flesh. There's some people who call themselves believers that still walk according to the lust of their flesh. Be careful with that. When, when we walk according to our lust and we feed the flesh, we blind ourselves to the things of God. We blind ourselves to the fact that one day soon the Lord is going to return. Hosea the prophet put it like this. He says the people's hearts are enslaved by their lust so that they can't see the things of God. And so instead of becoming believers, they become scoffers. And these scoffers get louder and louder. It seems that we get quieter and quieter if they looked at all the events around the world, but they get louder and louder as, as the day approaches. You know, let's go back to this a second because we, we've got to look at one term here and, and look at where Peter was at when he wrote these epistles. He says, knowing that scoffers will come in the last days. When are the last days? When are the last days? Here's where... A lot of people go wrong. There are two prophetic terms for days in the Bible. The last days and the latter days. The last days, you can go to Acts chapter 2 and you can figure this out. I'm not going to do it today. We won't go back there. But the last days begin at Pentecost and they will end with the return of the Lord. So Peter was speaking in the last days. The latter days are the latter part of the last days, the very end of the last days. Now, Peter, I believe, thought he was speaking in the latter days as well as the last days, but was he? No. 2,000 years have passed since Peter spoke these words, so Peter wasn't in the latter days. Peter was in the last days. But... but uh, he thought, I believe he thought, that the Lord could return at any time. But then he gives us a hint that he didn't see it that way. Because he'll tell us in next week's lesson that how long is a day to the Lord? A day is as a thousand of years. So yeah, the Lord's, you know, the Lord's coming quick. But hey, a day for the Lord is a thousand years. So, you know, it's been 2,000 years since Peter spoke these words. Now, but here we are, and we're a lot closer to the return of the Lord than Peter was, and yet there are still scoffers. And in their minds, they see that things are continuing on, and some Christians see it this way. All millennialists see it this way. Some, some Christians so-called Christians believe that things are just going on and they will always go on just as they always have since the beginning of the creation. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. There's floods, there's droughts, there's earthquakes, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, but the world keeps right on spinning and all things, that look at the text, all things continue on just as they were from the beginning of creation. And for most unbelievers, the beginning of creation took place millions, if not billions, of years ago. Now, why do they believe that kind of stuff? But why are they scoffers? Well, Peter tells us, because look at verse number 5. He says, 
For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. Let's break this down. So what he's saying is the heavens and the earth, the universe was created by the word of God. They willingly forget this. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and were standing out of the water and in the water. We see that over and over again in the Bible. By the word of God, the heavens and the earth were created. Hebrews, remember in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things that were seen were not made of things which are visible. But what do people do? They willfully forget. They're willfully ignorant. That's exactly what Paul says over in Romans chapter 1. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, the truth of the creation, in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in the creation. For God has shown it to them. So professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and they remain willfully ignorant. And to, the, to them and to some of you, the idea that God created the heavens and the earth by his word is absurd. It's absurd. That's what a lot of people believe. Most people in this country believe. Most people in this world believe that the idea of God, the Genesis creation is absurd. Just give you an example. The Pope recently was speaking at a pontifical academy, and let me quote what he said. He said, when we read the creation account in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining God as a magician with a magic wand able to do everything, wand able to do everything, but that is not so. The theories of evolution and the Big Bang are real. You know, what the Pope was saying, and I'm not picking old Catholics here because you better believe there are a lot of Protestants that believe exactly like he does. I, I, what, what he was saying is that the idea that God would create everything out of nothing by his word, that idea is absurd. But let me quote another Catholic theologian, G.K. Chesterton, and let me read you what he had to say. He said it is absurd for the evolutionists to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing by his word. Now let me read that again, and I want you to think about that. G.K. Chesterton can, can blow your mind. He's like C.S. Lewis, but listen to it carefully. What he's saying is that it's the evolutionist is the one who's absurd. And, and what the evolutionist believes is unthinkable is that that an unthinkable God who they don't believe exists could make everything out of nothing by his word. And then they pretend, going on, this is what he says, that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into something. You catch what he's saying there? They think we're absurd. What's more absurd? That nothing turns itself into what we see? 
This grand universe that we see, all of this DNA, all of these monocles, all of these atoms, it just made itself? That's absurd. You want something that's absurd? That's absurd. God created the heavens and the earth by his word. Look, I want you to think about that a minute. You understand the power that that took? Do you understand the intelligence that that took? Do you know where you can find all of that? Supernatural power and intelligence in this word. This is his word. That's why, you know, this, this paper and this leather I have here won't do anything, but those words that are in this book are all powerful words. And when I'm neglecting the word, I'm neglecting the supernatural power of God. The same power that created the universe is in that word. And we ignore that as we walk through this grand universe that he's given us. But listen to what he says in verse number six. You know, a lot of people, they might believe in the creation account. But they don't believe in the flood. They don't believe in the coming of the Lord and the earth melting with fervent heat and this day of judgment. They don't believe in that stuff. But Peter's going to warn us here. Look at verse number six. He says, by which? By which what? By his word. By his word, the world that then existed. I mean, he made this grand creation and man polluted it. And he says, by his word, the, the world which then existed then was Flooded with water. It perished. It was flooded with water. Think maybe there were scoffers in that day. When Noah was building that grand ark and, and uh, he was telling the people, he preached for hundreds of years, telling the people that judgment was coming and people scoffed at that idea and they laughed at that idea until when? Until those first drops of rain began to fall. And they understood that something was happening that had never happened to them before. And then all of a sudden the heavens opened up and it flooded for 40 days and 40 nights and the earth perished and all the people on the earth perished except for Noah. And people don't want to believe that today. They scoff at the idea of the flood, even though you can go up on mountains and you can find fish at the top of mountains. You figure out how they got there. Well, the mountains popped up. You can believe things the way you want to believe them. You see how you twist things? Or you can believe that there was a great flood and fossils were left. And you find these animals pushed into these caves by some kind of grand force of water. And all their bones are there. It happened at the flood. Why do people not want to believe in the flood? Because they don't want to believe that a loving God would judge this world. There are people in this room that don't believe that a loving God will judge them. Let me warn you, God is just. As much as he is love, he is just, and he is righteous, and you can't have love without righteousness. You show me a home where the father doesn't exercise discipline in that home, and there's not justice in that home, and that home is anarchy. There is no love in that home. You have to have justice in order to have love. If you love your kids and you execute justice in your home, and that's the way society works. And that's what God has made the society. And God has set this up. And we're the ones who have, are destroying it by our anarchy. And we call it love. We call anarchy. We, we make anarchy and love synonymous. 
Justice and love are synonymous. And judgment and love are synonymous. God in his mercy judged the earth in the days of Noah. But that's not the only thing God uses his word for. And and he's going to judge the earth again. Look at verse number 7. He says, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word. Just stop there a minute. You understand what he's saying? He's saying that all things are held together by his word. And when he decides not to hold them together any longer, that will be judgment. And what will happen at that time, the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. God decides to let go. Judgment will come and judgment is coming. He says, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word. Go with me over to Colossians chapter 1. We've gone here several times. You probably know it by heart by now. But go to Colossians chapter 1. Back where you were a few minutes ago in that area of the Bible. Go to Colossians chapter 1 and look at verse number 16. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 16. For by him, who's him? Jesus. All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Powers and authorities, thrones and dominions, principalities and powers. How many things? All things. I don't have to teach you. You've learned now. All things means all things. We're created through him and for him and before him all. And he is before all things and in him. Watch this. All things consist. Now, literally what that, if you translate that phrase, it's all things are held together. Everything is held together by him. By what? By his word. He holds it together by his word. That's some amazing stuff going back to 2 Peter. I was listening to A.W. Tozer the other day, and he was talking about how scientists believe or have proven that man, as far as size goes, lies somewhere between the end of outer space and the end of molecular space. We're somewhere in the middle. So if you could hitch a ride on an atom or you could make yourself small enough that you could hitch a ride on the nucleus of an atom, you would see a part of the creation as vast and awesome as outer space. And you can go outer space almost forever. You go into molecular space almost forever. And if you were there, you would see these protons and you would see these electrons and one is positive charged and one is negatively charged, and they, are, they should be flying apart, but they're held together. They're held together by a great force, so great that if you let them go, you, you, you have a nuclear reaction. What holds those atoms, those particles of those atoms together? Scientists have figured it out. They've got a name for it. It's called the strong force. 
the strong force. What is the strong force? Three words they made up. That's what the strong force is. What holds those atoms together? The Lord holds those atoms together by his word. I mean, it's just like gravity. What is gravity? You realize if you walked out there, if it wasn't here today, you'd be hitting that ceiling. You realize you're being held down to this earth by a force? We know what it is. Scientists have figured out what it is. It's gravity. Gravity, my friends, is a word. That's all it is. Scientists don't have a clue what gravity is. I have a clue. I have a clue there's something when this earth is flying, uh, uh, rotating around the sun at 70,000 miles per hour, and our galaxy is rotating around itself at the same time at, around the center at 500,000 miles per hour. We should be flat off this place. We should be destroyed. What's holding it all together? Gravity. <laughs> the word of God. The word of Jesus Christ. He's the force. May the force be with you. <laughs> where that came from <laughs> but one day by that same word God will judge the earth and all ungodly men and women with it and all he has to do is let go you want a picture of him letting go? Read verse number 10 of chapter number 3 of 2 Peter. The heavens will pass with a great noise and the elements of the earth will melt with fervent heat and be burned up. At, and then by his word, there will be a new heaven and a new earth greater than the one we're in right now. When, will, when is all this going to happen? When is it going to happen? Well, he tells us. Go back to our text now. Look at... Look at verse number seven. They're reserved, this, they're, he says, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until when? The day of judgment. When is the day of judgment? Now here's where you gotta be careful. You've got to understand your eschatology, eschatology and you've got to base your eschatology upon the entire word of God. Because if you read verse number 10, it says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night and then the heavens and the earth will pass away, blah, 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 blah. Okay? Does that mean that all of a sudden this earth is going to burn up and, we're, and it's going to come like a thief in the light and we're not going to know that it's going to happen? No. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And the day of judgment is part of the day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord begins, let me tell you where it begins, church. It begins with us being jetted out of here. With us being taken to be with the Lord. The, we call it the rapture. And then after the rapture, we have the time of Jacob's trouble. We have the great tribulation. 
And then at the end of the great tribulation, the Lord returns. And then the Lord returns and he sets up his millennial kingdom on the earth and that lasts for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released from the bottomless pit. He will come to earth. He will mount up another rebellion and men will rebel against God again. But God's not going to have any of it at that time. With By his word, he's going to destroy the unbelievers from this earth and Satan and all of those unbelievers, Satan's going to be cast into the lake of fire. And then there's going to be the day of judgment. And the graves will open up. Hades will open up. And Hades will bring up all the unbelievers out of Hades, and they will be judged. They will be judged. That's the day of judgment. They will be judged. And on the day of judgment, God, by his word, will create, will, will, will uh, do away with a, this earth and the heavens, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Maybe a remade earth, a remade heaven. Some people would argue over that based upon the Greek words. I, I won't argue one with others. I know it'll be something spectacular, though. Much more spectacular than anything we even see now on this earth. And then we'll live for eternity with Jesus Christ. Pastor, come on now. You really believe all that stuff. I mean, do you really believe that God created all things by his word? That he holds all things together by his word? That one day by his word, judgment is going to come upon the heavens of the earth. And what, by his word, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Do you, I mean, come on, do you really believe that? You better believe I believe that. I believe that with all my heart because I have eyes to see i have common sense i have a mind that's been enlightened by the holy spirit just like you do if you're born again and i see a creation with that mind that screams out intelligent design by an all-powerful god the god of this bible now listen to me if you don't believe that God can create the heavens and the earth in seven days by his word, how do you believe that he can change your rotten soul into a new creation? I mean, you might not have been as bad as I was, but I got to tell you, it took every bit as much power to change me as it did to create the universe. You talk about amazing grace. I needed more than amazing grace. I needed amazing power. It's amazing power by the grace of God that saved a wretch like me and saved a wretch like you. You know, if you can't believe that God spoke things into existence by his word, then how can you believe that he's going to raise you from the dead one day? How can you believe that he's going to give you a new glorified body one day, an eternal body, an immortal body? How can you believe that if you don't believe the creation account? You don't. You might say you do, but you really don't. Oh, I believe. I believe. I believe. Because he's given me his Holy Spirit and the power of his word. And I believe. What about you? Do you really believe? Man, if you really believe, these things should stir up your mind. 
stir up your heart, the pure part of your heart. If you really believe the Lord is coming soon, you need to get stirred up. Your life needs to become more than just some mundane period of time that you're living out waiting for the return of the Lord. Your life needs to become His. You don't know the Lord? Hey, you can say, I don't believe this stuff. You can scoff at this stuff. Friends, it does not change the truth. And I'll tell you this, if you will make the decision and you will believe, you will know that you know that all this is true. You won't know it until you believe. But if you believe, you'll know that my God spoke this universe into existence by his word. And he saved me by his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your creation. We thank, for your, thank you for your mighty power. The power you've shown in all of us that you've transformed and, and are transforming into the image of Jesus Christ. That's a mighty task, Lord. It takes your power. It takes your word. Father, if there's anyone here today who's a scoffer, doesn't believe these things, Lord, I ask you, speak loudly to them. And they hear your voice. Lord, and that they understand that time is short. And that today is the day of their salvation. Lord, I just ask that you, you touch every heart here to serve you, to stir every mind here to want to be closer to you. I ask that you do all of that by your word and by your power. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.
created things by his word and that by his word he holds all things together I'm reminded that when he died on that cross for you and for me that he was holding the molecules together the molecules of that wood the molecules of those nails and all he had to do was let go. And he was done with that agony. But he didn't let go. The reason he didn't let go is because he loves you so much. And he knows that by his word and by his power, one day you will be changed into his very image. You talk about amazing grace. You talk about amazing power. That's the word of the Lord. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes let's stand and close this up. Jesus Worthy is the man that was slain for us. Son of God in man, you are lifted up. All the world will praise your great name, Jesus. Say, Jesus, worthy is the
Have a good week.